Welcome to the Identity Talk for Educators Live podcast, the show for the unsung heroes of education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfamensa. And on this podcast, I highlight the unspoken and unsung heroes who are changing the education game as we know it. Every day, I come across the work of so many incredible educators who simply don't get the recognition they deserve. So on this podcast, we will provide you, the audience, with an opportunity to learn the personal stories of these incredible educators and the specific elements that shape who they are in and out of the classroom. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. What is going on, everybody? This is your host, Kwame Sarfamensa, back with a brand new Turkey Day episode of Identity Talk for Educators Live, the show for the unsung heroes of education. If this is your first time tuning into the podcast, I personally welcome you. And just as Jay-Z says, you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with me. And I appreciate that. So, so much to talk about today. We have a phenomenal guest. But before we get into that, we need to take care of some housekeeping. So first things first, if you love the content and you've been watching us from day one, day 30, or even starting last week, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all streaming platforms. And we also have our video episodes on YouTube channel. Just follow my name, Kwame Sarfamenta, as you can see on the nameplate. And you'll be able to catch all of the video episodes. And we have a lot of other things going on. Of course, when we talk about Turkey Day and Thanksgiving, we also have to talk about Black Friday. So in the spirit of that, we know that teachers have been working hard all year long, trying to combat the forces of COVID, virtual learning, and all the other challenges that have been presented by this pandemic. So to show our appreciation for all the educators, not just here in America, but all over the world, we are going to have a Black Friday sale. All items in our Danny Talk Apparel Shop are on sale. All you need to do is put in the promo code BLACK. Yes, promo code BLACK, all capital letters, and you'll get a discount on any item you purchase from the Danny Talk Apparel Shop. So make sure you check out some of our new swag. We have some Stay True to the Teaching You t-shirts. We have hoodies. We have Collaboration Over Competition hoodies and t-shirts. We have tote bags, the whole nine. So if you're looking for some new teacher swag and you're trying to stay fresh going into the new school week, make sure you check us out at the Teespring shop at teesprings.com backslash stores backslash the Iday Talk Apparel Shop. And we also have some other things that we're offering. Um, another thing that we have been doing is talking about our virtual school. So we have a virtual school for our K-12 educators. Iday Talk Consulting is an approved professional development provider, not just here in Massachusetts, but for other states. 
So if you're somebody that's looking to renew their license or to gain some credits towards a license, we have two course offerings. The first course being our Shaping the Teacher Identity 101 program, which is all focused on how to shape your teacher identity so you can live your authentic teacher mission. We're covering all kinds of issues such as classroom management, lesson planning, family and parental engagement, culturally responsive teaching, anti-racist teaching, and so many more skills and concepts. So if you're somebody that's looking to better their practice and to just be a stronger practitioner in the classroom, make sure you book a call with us today at conley.com backslash talk for educators. We'd love to hear where you are on your journey and how we can best support you. And then finally, we have our spell program for our aspiring authors. So spell means the self-publishing educators learning lab. And we're trying to get the next generation of bestsellers out there so they can share their stories with the world, but also let people know what's going on in their classrooms and beyond. So this is a class for not just educators, but for non-educators as well, who are just looking to learn everything about the self-publishing process. So if you're somebody that has that one book in your mind, that one book that's still on that Google Doc or in that Word Doc, wherever you have it trapped, we need to let that out. So let's see where you are. Book a call with us at the same URL, Canley.com backslash I didn't talk for educators. And let's see where we can help you out. So make sure you check us out. All right, y'all. So that's it for the housekeeping. Now let's get to the main event. So for those who don't know, I am from Connecticut. I'm a Connecticut native. I rep A60 to the fullest, near and dear to my heart. So today's guest is somebody who is from my way, knows what it's like to be in the state, doing phenomenal work at his school and his community. And it's going to be all about hip hop, y'all. It's going to be all about hip hop, all about spoken word poetry, all the elements of the culture. We're going to be getting into that today in the education context. So this brother that we have coming on, he is an award-winning educator, a poet laureate, a motivational speaker, a self-proclaimed edutainer artivist, and he's just an all-around decent guy, probably one of the most humble dudes I've ever met. Never wants to put the shine on himself. He's always bringing light to others. So I told him today, we need to give you your flowers and put the light on you because he just does a great job of letting other people know how he feels about them. So without further ado, I want to bring in my brother, Mr. Ryan Parker, onto the podcast. What's going on? <laughs> peace, 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 peace. Love. Um, you know what? It's crazy because the whole build, like, so Kwame, the thing is, is like I've connected with you via text, messaging back and forth in a DM, whether we were texting back and forth. But to hear you, to hear that, just like the vibe, the, the smooth voice, the cadence, the music and your delivery of words, the buildup, I'm like, oh, snap, like the beat's about to drop. I'm about to walk up to the stage. And so thanks for creating that feeling. Um, even here virtually, you still created that. I appreciate you. Hey, man. And this is what it's all about. You know, I'm a hip hop <laughs> head, first and foremost. I mean, we'll get more into that a little bit later, but it's in my soul, man. It's in my soul. And when you listen to the theme music, you can hear it. It kind of has a like a ninth wonder feel to it. You know, yeah, I was I was freestyling. I was freestyling to it. I, 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 was, saying, I, like... you, I was like, oh, he about, to drop a, he, about, he about to drop a hot 16 right now. Hold <laughs> up. Let me get this man on real quick. Ready to go. 
But thank you for just coming on. We've been trying to do this for a few weeks. So I'm glad that we're able to find a, a time to make this experience happen because this is a long time coming. And yeah, we have so much that we need to delve into. So let's get right in. Beautiful. So first things first, we know you're a Connecticut native. I know that you grew up in Norwich, single mom and everything. So just let the people know a little bit about your early life and what ultimately brought you into the field of education. Okay, word. Yeah. So before before I kick off anything, before I speak to that, you know, whenever whenever I enter a space, I gotta give thanks. Um and all praise to the ancestors that made it possible for me to be here in this moment to have this conversation with you. Um and I need to give thanks to the indigenous folks who are responsible for the ground from which, you know, I I, I stand upon. Right now I'm sitting down that I sit upon and I'm in Windsor, Connecticut right now at this moment. So I think that particular tribe is the um is the Pakanuk tribe. So um, I just want to give those gratitudes and I want to give all gratitude to you, Kwame, for creating this platform, not just not just for this moment, but for everybody that you have had, had on and all those that will um will follow. Um so I just I just come from a place of gratitude first and foremost. Um in terms of the 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 question, um, you know, what it what it is that brought me into the educational field, um, I, I would say that um what brought me into teaching is like the perfect combination of rebellion, affirmation, and hip hop. Yes. Um, so let me let me let me break that down and explain it. So I had this English teacher, Mrs. Jennings, who had this sign in the front of her classroom that said, "Silence is golden." I swear, it said, "Silence is golden," and she had straight rows. Um, it was worksheets every day. When you came in, you sat straight up in your seat and you were quiet. We were reading Wuthering Heights and like the Scarlet Letter. And um, just basically, if there was any kind of sign of you being a human being, it was scolded or it was punished in some kind of a way. And I remember over time having this sense of like, like rebellion in me. Like I had this like internal monologue going on in my head where I would go into that class and I'd be thinking like, yo, I'm, I'm going to go to, I'm going to become a teacher. I'm going to do everything opposite of what this woman is doing um, to us every day. Right. And um, I'm going to get my college degree. I'm going to become an English teacher and I'm going to, I'm going to bring golden noise. So that was like that rebellion element. Now you fast forward to college and I'm working on my undergrad at ECSU. Um, I'm an English major. I'm broke. I interview for this tutoring job at the um, writing center to become a writing tutor. I passed through the interview they hire me. And every night I'm working with folks on um, MLA formatting, teaching how to write lessons or whatnot. So I'm kind of getting into the flow of what it is to actually teach. Um, and so, so I'm a writing tutor. I'm helping folks write. At the end of the month, um, Lisa Zawada was my supervisor. She was like, oh, we got to check the box um, and read the notes. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, well, we have notes. Um, everybody is able to privately reflect on how it is that you engage with them as their tutor and then and then they leave um notes in an anonymous box and at the end of each month we check those notes and we read through them and that helps to inform you know what it is that we do as teachers or as um tutors i was like dope all right so we pour the notes out and i'm reading through them and my heart is just it's just getting full because you know that when you when you're in the mode of um educating and you're doing what you do because you have a passion behind it, you just you just engage in it. Yes. You don't you don't think too much to yourself like, oh, what I'm doing right now is dope, or like it's really meaning. Like, it's just kind of like you live it. Like for me, I've always said like teaching is like a life. Like I, I I do it everywhere I go. When I'm when I'm driving home, I'm thinking about oh how can I dopeify that or 
or I'm planning or plotting and scheming for the next lesson, the next class interaction with, with youth. So you don't really think about it. So to see people write it out, just affirm me to hear them say like how they were benefiting from, from my instruction and my interactions with them. Um, so now we have the rebellion, right? Colliding with the affirmation. And, and then the last piece was hip hop. Because at that time that I'm talking about when I was in those writing, um, when, I, when I was a writing tutor and I, I was um, at ECSU, I was really bumping Black Star. I was rocking out to um, Black on both sides so much, sprinkled in some tribe, um, the roots. And I was learning so much from this music, this hip hop that I was just like vibing with every time I was walking between classes, whatever that's. That's where I was. I was learning so much from that. In fact, that it, that it hit me so hard that I was learning much more from that hip hop than I was from any of the classes that I was taking on campus. And I was I was so passionate about it and so in tune to it that I was looking up different things that artists alluded to and and find learning more about my roots and like who it, who it is that I am. Learning more about others, politics, social justice, all of that was coming through this hip hop um, scholarship that I was attaining. And so that's why I say, you know, what brought me into the field of education? It was a collision between that rebellion, colliding with the affirmation, like I can do this, then colliding with hip hop, crossing over with hip hop. And one of the things that I have written in one of my pieces is um, every time I step aside the classroom, it's a civil rights act, fight oppression by teaching lessons to students. I give them wisdom to fight back. Ooh. Right. So that became so the hip hop part was like, I'm going to do it different than Mrs. Jennings ever did it. I'm going to bring golden noise. Um, I, I'm affirmed that I can do this um, because the greatest credentials that I could ever have are the stories that my students and their families tell about me. Right. And now I got this hip hop like gully like. Oh, I'm going to go in with that hip hop. Um, and that's 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 where the wisdom is. And it, it was just a combination of those things that brought me into teaching. That's the best way I can explain. It. I don't know if I hit it all, but that's the best way that I can tell it. <laughs> oh, man, brother, this is why I had to have you on, man. Like you speaking my language. You talking about Black Star. You talking about Kwali, <laughs> Bay. And it's funny you mentioned Tribe because my favorite group of all time is the Tribe Called Quest. Word, no doubt. Got all the albums. Whole Native Tongue Squad. Whole Native Tongue, man. That was how I learned about hip hop because I had an older brother and he was playing all the takes, man. So we we're bumping Black Sheep back in the day. We we're bumping. Yes. Jungle yes. Brothers, De La yes. Soul, like that whole movement, man. The and whole squad. Told that me how was, to love myself. Right. And that was my education. So, yes. so even though I'm approaching my 40s, my state of mind aligns more with a lot of the old school music because that was my orientation into the culture. So when you mention those names, these are folks that maybe a lot of the younger generation don't even know about, but these are some of the most underrated MCs and groups in our culture. And Word. they don't always get the recognition they deserve. But, you know, we're going to table that discussion a little bit later. They're going to come on your show. <laughs> oh, man. If you, if you had that kind of pull, man, man, that'd be lovely if you can get them on the show. Man, I'd be forever indebted to you. They they because I know that you have that um that that unsung heroes piece. Yes, which sir. Really, which really speaks to me. And um that's how I view a lot of them too. That's that's unsung heroes, yeah. They are, and little do people know, hip hop was our way of being educated about what was going on in our neighborhoods. This wasn't something that you could find in a formal school curricula. 
Facts. You had to listen to KRS. You had to listen to Intelligent Hoodlum. You had to listen to dudes like that to get a sense of what was going on in the neighborhoods. And also, how is that relevant to your own life? You know what I mean? So it's amazing how now we see this shift. But, you know, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because, you know, you're here and everything. But before we get into that, I need you to talk about hapivism because that's been something that I know you and your man Justice. So shout out to Justice Lopez. I know he's out there. Yo, um, that's my brother right there. Hey. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Hapivism. So that that is a co-generated piece between him and I comes from a personal place, um, comes from a space of um, what we, we've experienced in the educational world. Um, also us kind of processing our emotions um, and how we navigate educational spaces as our authentic selves. But happy vism is really, it's centered on the idea of joy as a form of resistance um, paired with the idea that black and brown boy joy is a form of activism. So that happy and that activism combined leaves you with happy vism. And it was written in the spirit of marginalized people's ability to hold tight to their happiness and their cultural joy and to resist oppression um, and keep their humanity and culture alive, paving the way for future generations to, to be able to do the same, to carry that on, even under the constraints of the most dire situations. And so it comes from an understanding of our ancestors, um, even those that were enslaved, still had weddings. You know, they still had birthday celebrations. They still turned up and vibed out and created dance and yeah. held yeah. on to the culture. And the idea is that like once somebody takes your joy away, then they've 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 taken away your humanity and they've never done that. Um and they never will because our ancestors I, I believe that they kind of infused that spirit into us. But it's easy to forget about the power of our joy. It's easy to forget, especially when the narrative is always trying to um turn it up on the tra on the trauma portion of things and not really highlight the beauty and brilliance and joy and just creativity and power and resilience of black and brown folks. So it's all about that. Um, have, this book is all about that. And it's really the idea to write the book really came from a sense of Lo and I wanting to get to the babies earlier. Both him and I teach mostly secondary ed, like all the way from middle school up to um, college. So we were just like, we got to start earlier and we got to lay these foundations earlier in the babies. And I don't know. Oh, I think I, I don't know if you could hear that, but I live near a train um, station. So. Well, I used to live in Glenville, so I know. Yeah, cool. I'm right near the tracks. I'm right next to Hayden Station, so that was the horn. But there's only 13% of children's books that are written. Only 13% of those are actually considered to be multicultural books. And only 7% of those books are actually written by black and brown folk. And so I think that Lo and I both kind of took it on as a responsibility of ours to change that narrative and to contribute in that way. And it, it's it's multi-piece. You know, it started off as a hip hop song. You know, it started off as an idea. We were freestyling in the car on the way back from the hip hop ed. Um, shout out to all the hip hop ed fam on the way back from the concert. And we was just freestyling to this beat. And Lo was like, I'm feeling so happy. I'm like, yo, I'm feeling so happy. And then we just like, started to reflect more on what that meant and what that meant for the soul and the spirit and how it was missing in educational spaces and how it wasn't, um, it wasn't the norm <laughs> while, while it's foundational to everything else that follows. And so capturing that self-love, that self-pride, that joy um, is, is what it was about for us. And it really started starting that earlier. 
not not in the middle school, not in the high school, but starting it with the babies. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but I hope that it does in some way. Oh no, man, that's the perfect answer. Uh, because I think with joy, when we think about joy, it's something that we all have to have. And there are a lot of things that are going on in our education system that can take our joy away. And we don't have enough time tonight to go over that because I'm all about joy right now. I don't want to talk about what's wrong because we know what's wrong. Yeah. But yeah, if we don't find the joy in the struggle, if we don't sing the spirituals, if we don't sing the church hymns, just like our ancestors did when they were out in the fields and doing all this manual labor, there's no way that we can get through our circumstances. You Thanks. know, that's so, it, Kwame. Yeah, that's man. It. Joy is an important element. When we talk about revolution, we talk about the struggle. So I just commend y'all for even taking that foundation and just taking this term and this school of thought and implanting it into our babies because we have to start early. They have to have a strong self-image of themselves so that they can navigate the world in a way that lets the world know that they're powerful and they're able to overcome anything. Absolutely. And that they that and that they authentically believe that and I don't even want to say believe that they authentically know that about themselves. Right. It's so, it's so foundational and I'm seeing it every day just being in spaces with youth. Um, but yeah, amen to all that. Yes, sir. So let's talk about the open mic movement in education. So I know this is a movement that you, I believe you co-founded, correct? Or yeah, so, I, so, I, so I teamed with Lowe on this as well some years back. Um, but I want to be really transparent and explicit about the idea of the movement. Um, yes, sir. Because it's phrased as the open mic movement in education. But quite honestly, if you had to ask me about the movement, then it's not really a movement in education. So I would like to like like to kind of edit that to be like it's a movement in Manchester um, or began as a movement in Manchester. COVID had other plans for us, but I can kind of break it down from that, you know, through that lens. Um, and it really involved a team of of beautiful educators. Um, shout out to Aquazi. Shout out to Matt Delaney, obviously Justice Lopez. Um, it was a squad of us that were kind of thinking that, you know, one of the most marginalized groups in existence is youth. It's just a group of youth um, and especially black and brown youth. And one of the things that was missing in the educational space was a safe space for youth to authentically be themselves and showcase that through a performance art that they tapped into. And so with the aforementioned belief that I just stated as like foundation, we were able to ignite movements in our local high school and the middle school where we were hosting, um, I should say that the youth were hosting open mic events in the middle of the school day because the idea was we didn't want it to be an after school thing. We didn't want it to be like a special. We wanted it to be something that was part of the norm and the culture of what we did in our schools. And the idea was really youth empowerment. So it's all youth led. Um, we train youth to be DJs, videographers, um, promoters, hosts, um, like uh, just a number of different positions, um, sound engineers, where they were learning some of this rich trade stuff that could be dope and could really um, enrich them, you know, outside of just what school has traditionally taught them was the way. Um, and it really piqued a lot of interest. What was beautiful about it is that youth led it, they hosted it, they planned it, they promoted, and then it leaked outside of the school, which was amazing. And it went into the, our local community center, where for four years, four and a half years straight, youth members ran an open mic Friday community open mic series, um, did their own grant writing, and we were just guides on the side, supporting um, as needed. Youth furthermore went out 
with Lopez and I and present it to different schools in Connecticut, outside wow. of Connecticut, educational conferences on the necessity to reimagine education, reimagine what it looks, sounds and feels like through a lens of youth voice and youth empowerment. Um, and so there's so many components of it that really, um, I guess, like flowed into this youth empowerment focus as of right now in this moment. I'm checking in with youth members. So um, because co- as soon as COVID came up on the scene, we weren't we didn't have access to the community center. Um, and so it became reflecting with youth on where do you, where do you, where do you want to go from here? You want to you want to get a virtual open mic popping? Like, what do you want to do? Um, and, and for the youth that I'm privileged to work with and serve, what they needed is they need a check in time to talk and process what's going on, how it's changing the dynamic of their schooling, their emotions. So we are on a hiatus of just self-care and reflecting to come back stronger um, when we do when we do arrive, uh, when things are a little bit better, you know, with COVID-19. So that's it in a nutshell. No, and what I love about this is the fact that it's being facilitated by you all but it's student-led. And we think about what's transpired with COVID-19, just this pandemic in general, we don't do a good enough job just as an education system of inquiring with our students what it is that they want in this system because they are the ones who we serve or should mm-hmm. be serving, I should say. So if anybody's opinion matters more than anybody, it should be the students. Mm-hmm. I've always of the mindset that students are the most important evaluators in terms of teacher performance. Not our mm-hmm. supervisors, not the principal, not your academic dean. It's the students because at the end of the day, they're going to say yay or nay. Mm-hmm. And if we take the time to listen to what they're saying, if we incorporate that youth voice, that's what's going to inform what we do. So I just Word. love everything that y'all are doing with the open mic movement. But I did have another question with regard to that. With this movement, does that also involve providing teacher support on how they can incorporate some of the skills of open mic and, and spoken word into the curriculum? I'm yo, just, yo, I'm so, glad that you're, I'm so glad that you're asking that. I, I, I want to say in reference to what you just commented on prior to that question, that it is wild when you think about it, how state standard would drive curriculum. State testing drives curriculum, right? Yes. As opposed to student need. Correct. <laughs> so as opposed to student perspective, youth perspective, what is it they're telling you that they actually need um, clearly and precisely? So um, I, I, that's just always been, been wild to me and kind of goes against the grain of my soul. But um, in terms of incorporating open, that's a part that I forgot to, to add. Yes. So it's not an isolated um, it's not an isolated event. So strategy, open my, strategies in terms of youth empowerment and creating spaces where youth can actually have their voices centered and amplified can happen in the classroom, right? So paired with that was the idea of also incorporating a lot of these strategies in the classroom, building safe spaces as foundation, um, thinking about how students can express what it is that they love and know about themselves, but also what they love and know about the content that they're learning. Um, And that was a part of it. Um, and a model of that happened every other week in the media center when we had the open mic teachers coming in. We had also um, open mic experiences where students collaborated with their educators on teaching them a concept. So one was focused on stepping. Another one was on how to write a six, 16 bar um, piece that's correlated with what they're learning in their social studies class. And so teachers teamed up with and collaborated with. Um, and then that was put on as a performance. And it was amazing. 
um, when we would travel, when Lopez and I would go out and Delaney and um, a quasi, just like some just dope educators I'm privileged to even know, um, when we would go out um, and present at LID or other educational conferences, um, COSBOC, NICOR, um, or even your university spaces, that was the idea, was teaching the strategies. We, um, we worked with a local um, uh, juvenile um, detention facility in Connecticut in Hartford also teaching those educators um, concepts around the open mic movement and education and strategies and how to implement that in your teaching practices. So the answer to your question is yes. All right. Awesome. And I appreciate you for breaking it down the way you did because so many people look at hip hop culture as a vacuum as opposed to something yes. that should be integrated into what you do. Kind of like the way that we talk about restorative practices. You know, could they look at it in the same way where it's like, okay, this is just this thing that we do. We get kids in the circle and we just talk about how we're feeling. Technical. And yeah. we're trying to figure out, well, how do we fit this into our schedules when in actuality, it's a philosophy, it's a state of mind. And it's something that should happen organically. And also the fact that it's cross-curricular. And you're an English teacher. So just through spoken word, just through poetry, you're learning right. a figurative language. You're learning about how to structure, you know, your, your writing pieces, like right. same skills that you see in the common core curriculum or whatever curriculum that you're right. being mandated to teach the students. These are some of the skills that you can learn through spoken word and just through open mic. So right. it just makes sense for that marriage to take place. Right. Which makes me think about one of the, the, the questions that you posed in terms of, you know, thoughts about how hip hop has evolved. You are ready to go. Let, so let's, let's go into that. So yeah. How do you think hip hop has evolved within the context of education? Because I know there was a time when the music, not all elements, but the, the rap was frowned upon by elected officials and politicians. We're going back to the late eighties, early nineties when, Two Live Crew and Uncle Luke were <laughs> were on trial, and and Ice T was singing "Cop Killer," like, and and all these other things that were happening, and yeah, and then just the rise of gangster rap on the West Coast, and how people looked at that as a reason for the inciting of violence and and everything. So we go from that to where it is now, where we have vocabulary, we have hip hop ed with Dr. Emden. Shout out to Dr. Chris Emden and the whole family. Peace, and, peace, Dr. E. Yes, um, another uh, hero of mine, and hopefully we can get him on the show one day. You know, same, same, same. Uh, oh, he'll be, he'll, he'll come on. Yes, yeah, he'll come on and bless it. So when I look at that question in terms of like the evolution of hip hop culture within the context of education, yes, sir. I that particular question makes me think about whether or not it's evolved in the first place. If it's been embraced and it has truly evolved in the first place. In the same breath, I would say that when when you're learning these trendy phrases like um, cooperative learning, restorative justice, anti-racism, you know, student-centered learning, social-emotional learning, all these terms you're hearing are born out of hip-hop culture. Yes. Right? That's all these things that people are, are uncovering, these, these words they're saying, are born out of Black brilliance. Right? Black brilliance is the root to the truth of all the stuff that folks are just now beginning to digest. Um, so in, in this sense, the evolution of hip hop 
in education is unfolding before our very eyes. But I think that we really have to be careful because we really need to lean in to making sure that we're keeping it real. Um, we got to make sure that the the hip hop is that real hip hop, because before you know it, in my opinion, um, folks will take what is supposed to be hip hop and, and they'll turn it into hip pop, um, mm. which is different. Hip Talk about it. Hip hop is influenced by trends terminology that really it, it paints a picture that says um, that you're doing the necessary work of paradigm shifting, but there's no actual action behind the picture or the boxes that folks are checking off so they can pat themselves on the back for getting a diversity trophy or, or um, a multiculturalism trophy. So we have to make sure that hip hop culture and education truly evolves and doesn't dissolve under a guise of like a self-proclaimed evolution. Um, in my personal experience, the evolution of hip hop, and you mentioned it, you mentioned vocabulary, right? Yes, sir. So the, in my experience, the evolution of hip hop and education ha has been exemplified in the transition of explicit like cliches of what hip hop pedagogy is into the culture of what hip hop pedagogy is like the cultureifying of it because yes vocabulary is dope but i think that when people initially think of like hip hop pedagogy they're thinking about like the hip hop posters hanging in the classroom they're thinking about the actual um you kick in bars or using you talked about like like english right like it, it lends itself to me to be able to lyricize and like incorporate that as rich literature that students analyze and work on their comprehension skills from which is dope um, but I think that people, that explicit version is one part of like hip hop pedagogy. I think that the more meaningful version is, is it's the infusion of the elements of hip hop into all aspects of your pedagogy to the extent that it becomes part of the culture of your classroom and what it is you do in and out. So we know that there's five elements of hip hop, right? We have the, the, um, the DJing. We got the B-girl, B-boy, the graffiti, the MC, and the knowledge. So those are the elements that can be culturified, but I'm not talking about it in the literal sense. I'm not saying going in your room, set up a turntable and DJ, and there, that's hip-hop pedagogy. Word, if you, if you have the capacity to do that, that's dope, and that can lean into it. But the posters of hip-hop artists on the wall, and you spitting a couple of bars or, or writing a lesson where students can rap, isn't the end all of hip hop pedagogy. When, when, when I say DJing as the element, I'm asking these questions, in what ways are you the DJ in your classroom? In what ways are you like the, the, the metaphorical DJ in the classroom? Because the DJ is the lifeblood of the party. The DJ is able to read the crowd and know when it is that they're going to drop a certain beat or a song and when to pull back, right? So how are you the DJ in the classroom reading your space? reading your environment, knowing the, the audience that you're serving, how are you switching up the vibe and the pace? Because sometimes we got to switch up the vibe and the pace in a lesson because we all know what it's like when you try to force yourself to keep, to keep going in the lesson and that's not what the audience is vibing with. So that's the work of the DJ, right? That's, that's what an effective DJ does. That's what an effective teacher does. When we talk about the, the B-girl or B-boy, in what ways are you intentionally creating movement in your teaching and learning space? Like, because I better not see you flat-footed behind your desk in a classroom. 
Like, how are you floating in and out of those aisles and vibing with the students wow. in the space? How are you allowing them to also like embrace their movement? How are you transitioning from one concept to the next, right? From one part of what you're doing in the lesson to the other. That is that movement. That's being the B-boy, B-girl educator that you should be. When we talk about MCing, in what ways are you allowing students to tell their stories within the learning space? Are you allowing students to communicate their learning through non-traditional forms? Are you allowing them to um, really tap into who it is? That they, it, might, it might not even be like rhyme scheme bars. It might be in the form of just like a speech that was like in their heart, but how are you allowing them to speak their stories? Because that's what the MC does. We speak our stories from the heart and with passion. So how are you creating that? When you talk about graffiti, graffiti is about marking your territory. It's claiming your space. How are we as educators allowing, not even allowing, because that even that word is, is, is a controlling word. We don't allow anything. How are we embracing students mm. and empowering them to claim the space to, to mark their territory? And I'm talking about aesthetically, like what, how are they helping to design what the classroom looks like, whether it's in the digital world or the physical world, but also how are you, how, how are you um, empowering them to claim their space and their power within that space? And how are you as the educator also showing up in that space, on the walls? Like what flavor are you adding to really humanify what it is that we're doing? Because the graffiti artist does that. The history of graffiti is all about claiming that space. And we know that there's that social justice spin into that graffiti as well. And the message the messaging that comes from that. Think about how you even dopeify an assignment. Like how, how what, what, is, what does it look like graphically, graffitily? What does it look like? Mm. And how you're at writing their name and, and, and even how you're embracing who they are. Like, to me, it's strange that you would have directions on any kind of assignment that don't say, yo, what's up? And please and thank you. You know what I mean? So it's it's bigger than just playing the um the hip hop song or writing a lesson where students get to rap. It's really culturifying it. And then when you combine all of those elements that I'm talking about and you're culturifying that, then you end on that fifth element. Like, then you are able to achieve that knowledge. But you don't just leave it at that technical knowledge because knowledge itself has to be the foundational component. So when, when we're talking about knowledge in that element, I want my students walking into the classroom with the attitude of, why is it that you deserve my time, mister? That's how I want them to walk into the space. And when, when I'm teaching a lesson and if you have to do the stuff that they have you do, what do they call it? The essential question, right? You write it on the board. Every essential question needs to link to how it is that, that we are truly empowering the students that we serve. So if I'm teaching reading, it needs to say in my essential question, um, how is what you are teaching me going to immediately empower me and my family? How Will I be able to use that to continue to empower my family and my community, my immediate community, and then the global community at large? It gotta be, it gotta be on that. And that's that that knowledge is correlated with all of that. And that's how I feel about the evolution of hip hop and, and those elements. Um, because I think that sometimes we get lost in the trap of just like the explicit version of like a hip hop pedagogy. Um, and I'm not saying that the posters aren't needed, they are. I'm not saying that lessons where students get to lyricize aren't needed. They are. 
but I, I'm, I'm interested in the culture fine. I, I don't, I no longer want to be in a state of be saying like, we got to reimagine what education looks, sounds and feels like. Now I'm on the, I'm on the level where I'm like, we need to apply the reimagination. We got to apply the reimagination. No, man, you just, you just dropped the whole dissertation right there. Um, <laughs> the only thing I'm going to add is this. We think about just the nature of teachers and we, let's talk about pedagogy for a second because we have some teachers who they live and die by the script. They live and die by the scope of sequence. They don't deviate from it. It's like, no, this is what we're supposed to do in day one, day two, day three. And we're just going to follow that script. But when we think about the very, the skeleton of hip hop, going back to the cool Herc days and, and just how it's evolved. Hip hop has always been perfectly imperfect. And I want to I want to yeah. expound on that, expound on that, because we think about just the nature of it. It's organically made like if there are no instruments around, we find things that we can turn into instruments Word, we make something out of nothing and we grow a table like we're able to make something out of nothing, something out of nothing and we grow. And we we make something out of nothing and we grow. And, and, and that, and that's the heart of it. And the scripting, it's funny that you bring that up because I'm working on this project in the district, this race and equity read aloud project. And um, I just spoke to K through four educators because like, so, so when, when you talk about that script, <laughs> that kind of goes against the grain of hip hop, right? Because we flip the script, we freestyle, but where does that, where does flipping the script and freestyling come from? If, if we're in a, we innovate, if we're in a cypher, we innovate, where does the innovation come from? It comes off, com- comes from, in my opinion, the reading of the environment, the reading of the crowd, knowing the audience that you're in, knowing your purpose, knowing your passion, who you're serving. So here's the thing. When I was speaking to these educators about the script, I said, yeah, a script will feel impersonal because it is, because it's a script. You as the educator have to, that's just the bones. That's just the guide, like hit those points, hit those key objectives, right? I'm not denying the objectives, but what I'm saying is how you arrive to hitting those objectives, you can't lose sight of the, the, the life and the spirit that you need to infuse. That's the art of teaching. That's the pedagogy. And the way that you know how to do that is you know your students. You have to know your students because even... Even me teaching like five different classes, the vibe isn't the exact same in each class because I have to make sure that I'm I'm vibing with what it is that I know about my students and their needs. And so while I have that script as, as a guide, while I have the objectives that are there that I know I need to hit, I know that we got we like this this class got to stand on the seat to do call and response because like I know that about my community because I've taken the time to truly love them and recognize that their elevation is directly attached to, to, to mine and my well-being. Like, like, so when we talk about the script, I think that before we even get into that, that foundation, the love is the foundation first. Like literally you have to love and value and know your students. And then you're not going to read off of a script like a robot and feel like you have to hit that because you're going to know what it is that they need and how you have to like switch that up. 
You know, you're gonna have to get loud here, quiet right. here. You're know, gonna have to pace it here, do it like this here. You're gonna have to lyricize this here. You're gonna have to rock and roll it here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because you know that audience that you're serving. So I think that the, the script and, and knowing your audience that you're serving are so like, so important in terms of like infusing the spirit that needs to be like behind the script or in in front of it and on the side of it. No, for sure, for sure. And and you know it's funny. I had Dr. J here a few weeks ago, so Yo, shout, shout out to her. Dr. J. That's yes, Dr. That's J. My sis. Yes, and we we're talking about this same topic about how we need to standardize love. We need to standardize love. Yes, you know, in our schools. Yes. You know, yes. we standardize tests, we standardize a lot of different things, but we don't we don't standardize love. And we need for educators and practitioners and just schoolies to understand call response is good practice. Some people to this day still look at it as, oh, this is disruptive. It's right. too loud. Right. I caught all that. Hold it down. So yeah. we need to we almost have to redefine what good pedagogy is, what good teaching practice is, and understand that it it's differentiated depending on the makeup of the students in our class. So I think it's something that we have to continue to redefine. I mean, um, that's the fight. That's the that's the battle. That's right. the work of the paradigm shift right there. Yes, you know, knowing where it all started, knowing that you know this was not traditionally designed for us or by us knowing the white supremacist infusions, knowing the legacy that still carries on today and affects not only the students that are in the space, but also teachers, particularly black and brown students and black and brown teachers, we know that that's the paradigm shift. We know that when we say we're trying to reimagine what education looks, sounds and feels like, that we are thinking beyond that supremacy and we are, we are working towards, towards um, shifting that um, because we know it goes against the grain of us. So, so absolutely. And I think another thing just to add to that is like, we, we, we constantly are focused on what it is, what it is that we do um, and not enough on who it is that we be. So knowing who it is that we be will allow us to understand ourselves, will then allow us to see value in others and love them. And then we can operate off of that foundation of love that that's a necessity and standardize that. I want to standardize love. I want to standardize anti-racism, um, not in the cute use of the term that's that everyone's tossing out now, but in the real sense of it, I want to standardize all that. Yes. And to add to that, we want to distinguish the fact that diversity does not equate to decolonization. So we, we need to also make that distinction as well. Yeah. yeah. All right, brother. So, man, we could talk about this all day, <laughs> all night. But I do want to get into our lightning round and Woo. learn more about you, man. Yeah. You know? Cause you got a lot going on. You got a lot going on. <laughs> so I'm gonna hit you with this first question. We've been in quarantine for a lot of months now. I've lost <laughs> count the point. Yeah. So tell me, what's been your favorite quarantine snack? Um salty pretzels. <laughs> salty nice. pretzels I'm, I'm just putting it out there like extra salt i know it's not healthy i don't make it a regular thing but that's been the that's been the snack for me wow that's okay. been it. All yeah right. salty pretzels and a lot of water 
Hey, <laughs> can't go wrong with salty pretzels. I mean, we could always, <laughs> we could always brush off some of that salt. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we feel less guilty. So <laughs> not the worst snack. Not the worst. All right. If you could choose one MC to be your homeroom teacher for an entire school year, like this will be your only teacher for 180 plus school days, who would that MC be? That is that is a awful, <laughs> awful request. Like to make to select one. Okay. Or select one MC. Let me. All right. How about we select two? Right. You have. I'm not gonna let one no, teacher no, and I'm an assistant. Let, no. No, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stick to the to to what it is that you put out there. All right. Um, I'm gonna be honest though. Like like. like Right away, my mind goes to to um to Black Thought, um, just because of everything, <laughs> everything that he represents. Um, but further think thinking along that um thinking that through a little bit more, I think that I land on um Akua Naru, um, who's a Connecticut based out of New Haven, um, hip hop artist, activist, scholar. Um, she was a fellow at, at Harvard. I think that she's at Brown University now. Um, she's a fellow there, I think, in the um, the Center of Studies for, for um, Race and Ethnicity. Um, and the reason why is I actually had the high honor. Lopez was a part of this because we was at a, um, we presented it. We presented it at Harvard. And then we, we had this open mic after. And uh, Lopez was like, yo, she's uh, cool. And I was rapping right now. Yo, grab that mic from her when she's done. And he, I was like, what? He's like, get the mic. He's like, grab the mic. He's like, spit bars. And so I was like, all right. So I like, she passed the mic to me when she was done and I spit. And then after that, um, she talked to me, you know, and uh, she asked if she could come sit down and just like vibe with me. I'm like, are you serious? Like Akua Naru, like, I don't know if y'all, anyone on this call or um, if you're listening to it later, like Black Joy, just get that album, super fire. Anything that she does is fire. Um, but when when I sat down with her, she just was like so, just like her aura, um, her intelligence, her magic, her authentic self, um, what she represents. I'm like, yo, if that was my so thinking about this question, I'm like if that was my teacher, there would be so much that I could gain from that. And I have a foundational belief that I could like that the world, it's the whole world itself can only reach its highest level, highest attainment through the leadership of and guidance of Black women. Like there's like, so if I have to pick like my educator, it's going to have to be a black woman. It's going to be a Kuanaru. So that's it. Well, you got to put me on for her. So you said black joy. I'm going to, I'll send you some stuff. I word. I bet, bet. Okay. Another question. You're on a stranded island. You only got three albums in your possession. What are those three albums going to be? I think I got it. I think I got it. Like I'm not. I think I feel good about it. I can imagine this. Um, my first choice. I didn't know if I was gonna pick the um 1975 live album of Marley or Exodus, but I think I'm going with Exodus. Um, I'm gonna go with the Miseducation of Lauren Hill, and then I'm gonna end on Kind of Blue, Miles Davis, Coltrane. Ooh. Love that. Love because that. I, I think I could cycle through those. I get my reggae in there. I get my my sister. 
um, soul and hip hop, and I also get that uh, that horn. So yeah. All right, and you know it's funny when I ask this question to the guest, Lauren Hill pops up all the time. When Dr. J was here, Lauren Hill popped up. Word. Uh, when some other guests were on, Lauren Hill popped up. Matter of fact, I had uh, Dr. Sean Woodley. You know, another good brother. He he came on. He's yeah. mentioned Lauren Hill. So yeah, it just just keeps on popping up. <laughs> yeah, she's the truth. Um, yes. and I can listen to that voice. You know, like I, I would I would do a lot of work with her with, with my students in my um English class, and I would I, when I would introduce her, I would explain like you know how you have somebody that's like a super dope rapper and they can sing kind of good, they can sing kind of well, or you or you know someone who's a super dope singer they're the greatest singer and they can rap kind of well yeah i was like well she does both rap and singing at the highest level super well so that's how i kind of like introduce you know her as an artist and then we would get into the stuff yeah but lauren hill is the truth no absolutely absolutely all right one book that every educator should read outside of happivism <laughs> <laughs> well you got this book popping right i didn't get to read your joint yet you got your book popping oh um, shape teach identity yeah yeah so i need to dig into that but right now asking that question um black appetite white food no doubt that's an easy answer for me there you go um dr j dr j doc, you know that book is everything that every educator needs to read prereq should be prerequisite not only is it dope in how it's written? Obviously, the content um, and what it speaks to in terms of what we actually need, what's a necessity in alignment with the paradigm shift that we need to continue to be making. It's a necessity, that book. So Black Appetite, White Food, no doubt. Shout out to J um, Dr. J. Love you. Yeah. All right. And for those who don't know Dr. J, is Dr. Jamila Lee Scott. So going to put a quick plug in there. If you haven't watched the episode that I had with Dr. J a few weeks back. Make sure that you go on to YouTube or even go on Apple Podcasts and just check out that episode. And we talk all about Black Appetite White Food. Gotta yes. gotta peep that episode. Gotta yes. like listen. Gotta watch everything that she touches and does. And yeah, just a powerful queen, you know, in her own right. Phenomenal. And finally, we're about to approach Turkey Day. What is the one thing that you're most thankful for? Um, I'm most thankful for my ancestors. Um, yeah, my ancestors, indigenous folks. Um, and it's, that's easy for me because without them and the path that they paved for me to walk on, for me to march on, I wouldn't even be here to receive the question that you gave, right? So um, there's so much to be learned from the sacrifices that they made. And they moved me to continue to keep paving the path for those that I'll be an ancestor to one day. So I'm most thankful for my ancestors and, um, and, and all that they, all that they represent. All right. Yeah, man. Well, well, brother Ryan, <laughs> an incredible hour of dialogue and just intimate conversation. And I'm very appreciative of the experience and just sharing the space with you. So I thank you for being on the podcast, but one last thing. And this is a very important question because people need to know how they can connect with you on social media so they can continue to support the great work you're doing. And also put a plug in for Happivism because I know <laughs> we have the book coming out. 
You have the song on iTunes. Let them know where they can listen to that, man. Yeah, so thank you for this platform. I, to be quite honest, I'm not a big showcase. Um, and maybe I should, maybe I should, I need to do a better job in terms of social media. I'm on Instagram at, at Peace Love Parker. That's where um, I post most things. Um, or you could always reach out through the DM and we can we can vibe um, at Ryan Parker the Poet um, dot com. Um, but like 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 I said, mostly it's through through IG that I'm posting and really you know keeping up to date with everything. Um, I don't I don't really post or I don't I'm not infused in social media where I'm really highlighting a lot of my stuff. Maybe I need to change that. But I will say in terms of happyism. Um, this is going to, going to be an ongoing project. Um, the book, um, the illustrations are just being wrapped up. They should be wrapped up at the end of this month. We are working with um, Ciara um, Chanterelle. So shout out to our youth illustrator um, who's a part of this project as well. Um, the song itself uh, was published. Lo just recently got it published on Spotify, Apple Music, um, all, all platforms, all music platforms. You can go ahead and purchase it. It's 99 cents, but what's super dope is that all of the proceeds go towards um, purchasing print copies of our book to be able to donate to youth. Uh, and also proceeds will go towards a scholarship, a youth empowerment scholarship that we are putting together. And so um, that's it. There is a website that's being worked on right now that will drop soon. Um, you can follow uh, the Happy Vision Project on Instagram and learn more there or reach out to myself or Lopez. Um, he's at social, ju- social underscore justice, um, ending with an S. And of course I'm at East Love Parker. Yo, I can't leave without just telling you, I appreciate you not only for this moment and this conversation that we had, but for the ones that you had prior to me and the ones that you continue to do. Um, I, I speak with the most sincerity when I tell you that I'm taking copious notes and I'm just trying to learn from your greatness and trying to apply it. So I, I consider you family. And even though we haven't even met in person, we don't even have to because we met in spirit and yes, I love you. And there's nothing that you could do about that, Kwame. So I, I thank all the listeners, anybody that's on right now. And I just hope that you continue to keep shining and sharing that light of yours, Kwame. And I appreciate you, Ryan, man. I love you too, brother. Just everything that you're doing and just your humility in itself is what makes you great because you don't need to showboat or boast about what you're doing. You let the work speak for itself. And that is more than commendable in my eyes. So I appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Love and light. Yes, sir. All right. So Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of I Dane Talk for Educators Live. So we wish you a good morning, good afternoon, good night, wherever you are in the world. And we're going to do this again another time. Happy Turkey Day. Peace out to all of you. Thank you for listening to the Identity Talk for Educators Live podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram with the handle at Identity Talk for Educators Live. And that's a numeral four in the middle. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other streaming platforms. We're always striving to provide you with quality content. So if you love what you heard tonight, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And to check out the video episodes of the podcast, you can visit our website at www.com identitytalkforeducators.com. Thank you and have a great day.